0: They sing out. It's great, isn't it? Turn your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12. The words that were given to us here in Isaiah chapter 12 were really straight from the heart of Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah began the prophecy that we find in Isaiah chapter 12 all the way back in chapter 10. We're not going to go back and read all of those things, but it was filled with the prophecy about the Messiah. And if you go back and look at verse number 11, I don't know if you have a study Bible, but mine is a study Bible. And um, if you look at, at verse number 1, verse number 2, verse number 3, verse number 4, um, and, and even others in that passage, there's a little star next to those, and those are prophecies that are being prophesied about Jesus Christ coming in the New Testament. Those are all unfulfilled prophecies and things that were going to happen. They're all about the Messiah. And he moves into chapter 12, and it's a very short chapter, especially if you look at most of the chapters in Isaiah are relatively long, but it's a very exciting chapter. The salvation that was promised, and we're going to look at this in just a minute, in, in chapter 12 is compared to that of Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. That's how chapter 11 ends. It says that at the end of that, uh, that chapter. Like as it was to Israel on the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. Can you imagine how exciting it must have been for Israel on the day that they came up out of Egypt? They had been in bondage for a long time, they had been made to work as slaves, and they, you know, uh, very difficult, especially in the latter end of the time that they were there in Egypt. They, they were forced to make bricks. They needed straw to make bricks, and they took away their straw, and they made them make bricks. They had to get their own straw. I mean, they, they made it very difficult on them. And obviously, you know the little story about Moses coming down there and, uh, and going to Pharaoh and the ten plagues and all of those things. And finally, Pharaoh let God's people go. And you can imagine the joy that they must have felt as they were marching out of Egypt. And that's, kind of, that's what chapter 12 really is comparing to. But just like Moses and the children of Israel sang a song of praise to God in that day, and that's recorded for us in the book of Exodus, uh, the people of God, uh, uh, Miriam and Moses and all of them sang a song. We have a, there's a whole chapter in Exodus about the song that they sang, about the fact that they were finally freed from Egypt. But just like that, and that's really what Isaiah is comparing that to in chapter 11, moving into chapter 12, Uh, The people of God are going to do the same thing when Jesus Christ reigns supreme and every knee is going to bow before him. What a day that's going to be. But Isaiah lived in very troublesome times. The problem is many people fell because of those troubled times. They failed because of those troubled times. But Isaiah's faith was unshaken. His confidence was unshaken. Because of what Isaiah possessed, he could remain confident in the middle of a crisis. Because of what Isaiah possessed, he was able to completely trust in God. What was it that Isaiah possessed? And are those things that we can have today? Absolutely. He was able to trust God completely. Let's read chapter 12 together. Verse number 1 says, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall you say praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout thou inhabitant of Zion for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. You know that I like Charles Spurgeon, and I quote him often, but he said this. A dear brother reminded us that we may tremble upon the rock, but the rock never trembled under us. Another reminded me of a remark that I made some time ago. What time I am afraid, I'll trust in thee. Well, I said, that's, gonna, that's going to heaven third class, but the better way is to go to heaven first class. I will trust and not be afraid, letting no fear come at all, but depending entirely on what God has declared in his word. I don't know who needs this message this morning, but I believe the Lord's laid it on my heart. I'm going to preach a little different type of message this morning, but I trust that it'll be a blessing to you. I want to take a few minutes and see what Isaiah possessed in troubling times that that we can all have as well. Uh, God gave him those things, and God can certainly give us the same things that we need to have during these troubling times. He knew how to trust God and why. The title of the message this morning is very simply, straight from Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2, I will trust. And not be afraid. I will trust and not be afraid. Why? That's what we want to look at this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the time that we can spend together here this morning. I pray that you'd use it in our hearts. Speak to our hearts, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see is this. That is the essential thing, which is my salvation. I can trust and not be afraid because I have the essential thing, and that is my salvation. No matter what can happen, I know that my eternity is settled. That's the essential thing. And if you don't know that your eternity is settled, if you don't know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, that is no way to go through life. You're not ready to die. You're not ready to live until you're ready to die, it's been said. And when I I say ready to die, oh, I don't care, let death come. No, you're not ready to die if you don't know what's going to happen in eternity. And I know there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, you know, I'm, I don't care. I'm, I'm looking forward to going to hell. I'm going to spend time with my friends. We're going to have a party down there. We're going to meet up again. And we're going to do all these other things that we used to do. No, that's not the way that hell is. And the Bible describes hell as a horrible, horrible place. And if you don't have your eternity settled, then you're not ready to live either. There's no way to go through life with the uncertainty of not knowing whether or not you're going to spend an eternity in heaven. If you don't have that essential thing, you can never have peace in the time of turmoil. If you haven't settled that, then that's something that you need to get done today. But beyond our salvation, he's still our savior. One commentator said it this way, God is my salvation. Not only my savior by whom I am saved, but my salvation in whom I am safe. I depend on him as my salvation for I found him to be so. He shall have the glory of all the salvations that have been wrought for me. And from him only will I expect the salvations I further need not from the hills and the mountains. And if God be my salvation, if he undertake my eternal salvation, I will trust him to prepare for me for it and preserve me to it. I will trust him with all my temporal concerns, not doubting, but he will make all to work for my good. I will be confident. That is, I will, always, I will be always easy in my own mind. What a great way to look at this passage. It's exactly what it is. God is my salvation, not only the fact that he saved my soul, but he keeps me safe. He's the one that protects me, and that, he's, that salvation is the essential thing in more ways than one. I need salvation to have my eternity settled, but I need salvation every single day. Not that I have to get saved over and over and over and over. That only happens one time, but I can't imagine how many times he saves me every single day. How many times he keeps us from things that we have no idea what was going to happen to us. How many times he protects us in ways that we had no idea that we even need to be protected. But he's my salvation. He saved my soul, but he also saved my life. Daddy Rambo wrote a lot of amazing songs. And she and her husband traveled all over the world and sang. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if she's still alive today or not. If she is, she's, she's very old. Um, but she wrote a lot of songs in the 50s and 60s and 70s, I believe. But she tells about a time when she and her husband, Buck, were going through... Uh, really, the only difficult time that they ever had in their marriage—they were traveling a lot. They were doing a lot of different concerts in a lot of different places, and she said they were making a lot of money actually doing these different concerts. And uh, but she realized during that time that she was not living close to the Lord, and she was writing songs, but she was not writing those songs under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And she also realized that she had never done anything to merit all of His goodness, all of His recognition. All the fame that they were that they were uh, having during that time and she began to study the scriptures where Paul said that uh, he didn't glory in himself and she came to the realization came back to the realization because she already knew it but she came back to the realization that all she had was because of the grace of God and because of the cross of Jesus Christ and in their travels they ended up going over to Holland to do a few concerts and when they got off the plane there were some people there that met them and we're gonna take them to this little hotel that they were staying at and They got in the car and put all their luggage in there, and the young man that they were riding with said, you know, um, I I just have to tell you this, when you're singing in these concerts, you can't sing about the cross of Christ. She kind of looked at that young man, and she said, do you mean that we're not allowed to sing about the cross to these Christians? And he said, no, they consider it gory. They don't want to hear about the cross. And she looked at that young man, she was old enough to be his mother, and she said, son, if you won't tell them that you told me this, then I'll pretend that I don't know it, because I will be singing about the cross, and about Jesus Christ, and about the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, they sang in the concert that, that very night, and they sang the song, He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. And that talks all about the cross, it talks all about the blood of Jesus Christ, and how he shed his blood for us on the cross, and she said that people all over the auditorium were weeping in the audience, including the man who said that they couldn't sing about the cross of Christ. And the Lord really seemed to move in the hearts of those people, and they went back to the little hotel that they were staying at that night, and they went to bed, and she lay there in the dark. Her husband was asleep by that point, and she began to weep, and she said, God, I apologize that we're so stupid as a people so often that we're afraid to talk about the cross of Jesus Christ, that we don't want to talk about the blood of Jesus Christ, his cross, his grace. I really apologize. apologize. And as she lay there in the darkness, the Lord gave her the words to the song, I boast not of works, nor tell of good deeds, for naught have I done to merit his grace. All glory and praise shall rest upon him, so willing to die in my place. My trophies and crowns, my robes stained with sin, t'was all that I had to lay at his feet, unworthy to eat from the table of life, till love made a provision for me. The chorus says, I will glory in the cross. In the cross, lest his suffering all be in vain. I will weep no more for the cross that he bore. I will glory in the cross. She had to keep that in her heart and in her mind until she woke up the next morning. And when she did, she sat down without music and wrote that song. And what an amazing story. What a glorious song. I, too, have nothing that I can glory in. I, too, have nothing other than the cross of Jesus Christ. The blessed truth of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his marvelous grace, he included me. He saved me. He allowed me to become his child. We can trust and not be afraid because we have that essential thing, and that is our salvation. Look just a couple verses. uh, Actually, the next verse, in verse number three, it says this. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Boy, that's where we have to make sure that we never let our salvation get old to us. The moment your salvation gets old to you is the moment that your Christian life has stalled. The moment that you've started to backslide. Because the moment our salvation gets old, we stop caring about sharing that with other people. The moment our salvation gets old, we stop recognizing what an amazing thing that he's done for us. And can there, any, can there be any greater hope in any time, let alone in a time of crisis, than knowing that we have Jesus Christ as our Savior? I have the essential thing, my salvation, but also... I have the everyday thing, and that's my strength. I can trust and not be afraid, because with God I have the everyday thing, and that is my strength. Can I remind you of the promise that we have in Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 25? He says, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. He's not going to leave us hanging one day longer without his strength than we are alive on this earth. He's going to give us his strength. He's going to provide us with those things. He'll give me grace for every situation through every single day. Let her rip. That was the expression of one of America's, uh, for for a long time, he was one of America's foremost gospel songwriters, Dr. Charles Weigel. Just passed away not even all that long ago, honestly. Um, But these little words, let her rip, odd as they may seem, uh, simply suggested that you shouldn't be worried about what's happening in your life. Just let it rip. Live for God. Do what He wants you to do. Live how He wants you to live. Leave it in God's hands. That's the attitude that he had. That's what he said all the time. Leave it in God's hands. That's what caused him to be a blessing and inspiration to thousands of people uh, during his, his life. And his, uh, his, his life of service for God. He was a preacher, but his life of service for God was enhanced by his ability to write songs. One of the most beautiful and probably the most widely known songs that he ever wrote was written in some of the, the deepest hours of trouble and heartache that he ever went through. That song, they said, outnumbered requests in the gospel, the gospel music stations and things like that. that. That hymn outnumbered any of the other hymns that has ever been requested. It's been sung around the world. It's been translated into a lot of different languages. Yet, this song was born out of, out of despair. Charles Weigel... Was in the ministry. But his wife decided that she had had enough. She didn't want to be a pastor's wife anymore. She didn't want to live in the ministry anymore. And she told him one night. I'm leaving. I'm done. If you're not getting out of the ministry. Then I'm getting out of this marriage. And she left him. You can imagine what that does. I mean here's a guy that's sold out for Christ. That preaches around the country. That's you know. They've been preaching for years and years. Has his wife come and says. I'm done. I don't want this anymore. And she left. And. That drove him into a very deep despair, as you can imagine it would. He walked down to the pier near his home. And for a few faltering seconds, he thought about the fact that he could just end his personal torment by jumping right there into the Gulf of Mexico. Something had stopped him, but he went back to this house and he started to think about the goodness of God. And he sat there for a few minutes at the piano. And he said, Jesus, no one ever cared for me like you. And in 20 minutes... He wrote the entire song, I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus, since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I will tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus placed his strong and loving arms around me and he led me in the way I ought to go. And I like the third verse. Every day he comes to me with new assurance. More and more I understand his words of love. But I'll never know just why he came to save me. Till someday I see his blessed face above. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh how much he cared for me. Some of the greatest hymns were written during times of deep distress and darkness on the part of those who wrote the songs. Perhaps it's because during those periods a suffering soul draws a whole lot closer to God. And I think a lot of that is because we realize that there is no other place to turn. He is our strength. He is the everyday thing that we need and that is our strength. Those are the times when we learn to lean and put all of our trust in God. It's during those valley experiences that we learn where our true everyday strength comes from, and that's only from God. Were it not for those valley experiences, we would not know that there was a such thing as a mountaintop experience either. Oh, we all love the mountaintops. We love to be on the top of the mountain, and it's great when we can live there, but what happens when you end up in a valley? The Bible says in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And that's exactly what Charles Weigel realized. When he was down in that valley, there was no one, no one that cared for him so much as Jesus cared for him. Not his wife. Not the one that you'd expect would stay with him through thick and thin. Not the one that you would expect would be there no matter what happened. But Jesus, the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's the everyday thing that we need. He is our strength. I'm told in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 that I've been granted access to the throne of grace. That I can find help. That I can find grace to help in time of need. What a tremendous strength I have to rely on. There in Isaiah chapter 12 in verse number 5, the Bible says, sing unto the Lord. Why? For he hath done excellent things. This, this is known in all of the earth. He is my strength. He's done excellent things. He's done things in my life that would not even be explained other than the fact that God did it. But he's our strength. We become... Uh, You know, when When the night seems the darkest, it's when we need to hold on. It may be that God's preparing to use us greatly in his service. We become most aware of his power and his presence when we call on him in times of great distress and sorrow, when we realize that he's not just the source of our strength, but that he is our strength. He is that everyday thing. He is my strength. And I have the essential thing. I've got my salvation. I have the everyday thing. I have my strength. But I have, lastly, the extra thing. And that is my song. I can trust and not be afraid because with God I have the extra thing, my song. Verse number two says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. I have something that those who know not Christ can never have. And that's a song. Oh, you know the story of Job. He went through some of the, some of the most horrific things that you could possibly imagine. And boy... We go through difficult times, and you always say, yeah, somebody's always got it worse than we do. And most of the time, they do. I don't know if Job could say that. Job, in one day, lost everything that he had. He lost his house. He was was the wealthiest man alive on the earth at that time from everything that we know. And Job lost everything that he had in one day. And as if it wasn't bad enough to lose all of your possessions and your house and everything else, he lost all ten of his children at the same time. Can you imagine that? It's bad to lose a child or two children. You hear some of these stories sometimes, you know, maybe when a family got in a car accident and two or three of the family died, but Job lost all ten of his children at once. I don't know how it things it can get any worse than that. But Job says in Job chapter 35 and verse number 10 that God giveth songs in the night. He giveth a song in the night. Oh, what a dark time Job must have been going through but God still gave him a song. I really think that that's what sets Christians apart from someone who knows not Christ when they're going through tough times. Somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ can go through tough times. They can go through trials with a good attitude. We hear inspirational stories all the time of people who powered through and they did it with a great attitude and you know they can be an inspiration to those people around them. They can smile through the pain, but I'll tell you the difference. What sets a Christian apart is that God gives the Christian a song. And the reason they can smile is not because they have a great attitude or a good outlook on life or because they have the positive vibes that, are, that, you know, that everybody's sending them. By the way, did you notice that? It's not, it's not we're sending prayers anymore, which most of the people, by the way, and I'm not, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but most people, when they say, oh, well, we're praying for you, never even breathe a word in prayer. Make sure that when you tell somebody you're praying for them that you actually do. You know, I see that on Facebook all the time. You know, oh, pray for us, we're something and. and 5,000 comments underneath that, praying, 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 praying. Are all those people really praying, or are they just putting words, you know? But you see this happening all the time now, too, sending good vibes. What does that even mean, you know? It's not, it's not thoughts and prayers anymore. It's good vibes. But, see, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying is the difference between what Christians have and what the world has. Oh, uh, uh, somebody that doesn't know Christ can smile because somebody's sending them good vibes, they can't sing through those trials. They can't smile because they've got a song that comes only from Jesus Christ and from knowing his salvation and from knowing his strength. But those of us as Christians, we have that. We have that song in the night. You might recognize this name, Heldor Lilinas, L-I-L-L-E-N-A-S. You see it on the top of a lot of songs because he wrote a lot of songs, but you also see it on the bottom because he started a, 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 a songwriting company a music publishing company after he em- immigrated from Scandinavia to the U.S. in the 1940s and 50s. And when he first got to the United States, his, you know, his first years in America were pretty hard, but a kind lady befriended him, taught him English, and more importantly, she taught him how to be saved. And he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior there as a young man at, not too long after immigrating from Scandinavia. His travels eventually landed him in Kansas City. But she used to sing a song to him all the time, God leads us along. And he got to love that song, and, and after a, a bit of traveling and really his, his music career, if you will, in publishing, started taking off, and so he eventually started this, uh, this publishing company, this music publishing company, and his travels landed him in Kansas City, and he started the music company there, but after a few years, he started thinking about this song, because it would come to his mind over and over and over, God leads us along, and it had been so meaningful to him as a young man. He decided to try to find something out about the writer, C.A. Young. Well, he did some digging around and found that, you know, after a few phone calls and letter writing and everything else that the songwriter had passed away. But his wife, who was obviously a widow, was still alive. And so he tried to look her up. He tried to, he wanted to know the, the story behind how this song was written. And so he he got into contact, and this was obviously days before the internet and, and you know computers and all that stuff. You couldn't just go look up the information, and so he did it the hard way, and he sent letters and made phone calls, and he finally tracked down an address where this lady was supposed to be living. And so he drove, and it wasn't all that far of a drive from Kansas City, and he pulled into a a, a, a gas station, and the tenant came ran, running out and said, may I help you, sir? And he said, well, I need to get some gasoline, but I wonder if you could tell me where this address is. I'm trying to find this address. And the countenance of that young man's face changed it dropped a little bit and he said well sir that's the that's the that's the county poorhouse and so he said well fill up my gas tank for me if you don't mind and his first reaction was just to have that boy fill up the tank and then make his way back to the office and he remembered thinking I just I can't go talk to a lady about God's leadership when he's led her to a poorhouse but he said well you know I'm, I'm all the way here so I guess I'll just Go stop by at least for a few minutes as long as I'm in the area. And so he followed the young man's directions to the poor farm. And he approached the buildings with some hesitation and doubt, but he was led to the room where Mrs. Young lived. And he explained to her who he was and why he had come. And her immediate response was, Oh, Mr. Lillen, it's it's so wonderful of you to come out and visit me. And her enthusiasm and just the radiance that he had on his face completely changed his whole attitude toward the visit. And his excitement mounted as she told him the story. She said, my husband and I were married while we were very young. God gave us a wonderful life together. These are her words. He led us from day to day. We had so much of Jesus, but then God took my husband. Now God's led me here, and I'm so excited and glad about it. God's used me in this place. Isn't it wonderful that God leads his children day by day and step by step? Many people come to this place, and they're so sad and in such great need. They need help and comfort, and I've been able to cheer many of them and lead scores of them to the Lord Jesus Christ. How thankful I am that God brought me to this place where I can be of so much help to these people. Heldor Lillinus was deeply moved by Mrs. Young's words, and he was excited that he found more than just a story behind that gospel song. He had found a Christian woman that was completely surrendered to Jesus Christ and completely surrendered to God's will for her life. And for a few brief moments, he said that he shared the joy that she felt in such sweet surrender. It's a song that only God can give. And boy, this lady, sitting in that poor house, could think back on those words, in shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet. God leads his dear children along. By the water's cool flow, they the, bathes the weary one's feet. God leads his dear children along. Away from the mire. And away from the clay. God leads his dear children along. Away up in glory. Eternity's day. God leads his dear children along. Some through the water. Some through the flood. Some through the fire. But all through the blood. Some through great sorrow. But God gives a song. In the night season all the day long. It doesn't matter what we're going through as Christians. If you're saved, God gives us a song. Look at Isaiah chapter 12 and verse number 4. And in that day shall ye say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. See, in the darkness of of uncertain days, of uncertain times, a child of God can sing because he knows that God is in control. We don't have to worry about these things. We don't have to fret about tomorrow. We don't have to wonder who's in control. God's not, you know, we, we know that He's got all things in His hands, and that's why we can sing. He's in control of everything. Right? Look, does the bird stop singing because it starts to rain? Does the bird stop singing because he doesn't know where he's going to gather his food from? Of course he does not. Because he doesn't worry about those things. God's in control of all of them. If only we had just as much faith as a bird. To trust that God's going to take care of us. To trust that he's going to give us that strength. To trust that he is our salvation. To trust that he'll give us a song in the night. Many years ago, there was a woman on board a ship. And obviously, most people don't travel by ship anymore, but these people were. And she was very disturbed in, her, in a storm. And her husband, who happened to be the captain of the ship, was calm and not worried about it at all. And she asked him why he was so calm when she was so distressed. And he didn't answer in words, but he took a sword off the shelf. And he pulled the sword out of that sheath, and he stuck it right to her chest. She just smiled at him, and he said... Why are, you know, why, why are you not afraid? This is a sharp sword. I could kill you in a second. She kind of laughed a little bit, and she said, I'm not afraid of the sword when it's my husband that wields it. And he looked at her, and she said, And neither am I afraid of a storm when my father is the one who sends it and manages it. And isn't that the exact way that we should handle those things in our life? Storms are going to come. Storms are here. You might be in the middle of a storm. But why should we be afraid? Why should we worry about those things? Why should we fret? Why should we, why should we panic when stuff happens that's out of our control? God's in control. See, you and I as Christians, we don't, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. God's not up in heaven wondering what's going to happen next and wondering what he's going to do about it when it does. He's not up there wringing his hands, hoping that the world doesn't fall apart and get out of his control. He's in control. He knows what's going on. He knows what's happening. He knows everything about our lives that's ever happened, and he knows everything about our lives that's going to happen. He has it all under control. We just need to trust him and not be afraid. I have the essential thing, my salvation. I hope you do too. I have the everyday thing, and that's my strength. And I have the extra thing, which is my song. What do I have to worry about? Can you say... Like Isaiah said, I will trust and not be afraid. I hope so. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the hope that we can have. God, I don't know why the purpose of the message this morning, but I believe you've laid it on my heart, and I hope it's been a help to somebody. Maybe even if it's just for one person this morning, you know what everybody's going through. You know what everybody needs. So, God, I pray that you would use the message in our hearts in only the way that the Holy Spirit can. Well, Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. As the piano plays, the invitation is open. If God's spoken to your heart, then come on forward. If you need to get something right with God, then get it right with him. If you need to put your trust back in him, then put your trust back in him. But let him know those things. That's what the altar is for. The altar is here to talk to God. Sometimes I wonder what the altar would say if it could talk. Because so many times the altar is a place where we pour out our hearts to God. Nobody hears but Him. But if you need to talk to God this morning, then come on forward as the piano plays.